Well, we were talking about what subject you've grown in the last five years. Over the last five years, I've grown in building a new facility. And uh, the key thought that was given to me is just four words, stay out of it. In other words, pass it on to others. But I want you to know I have learned a lot. And other churches are calling me about how they can do it. And I tell them the same same words. Stay out of it. God has put in your church people who are just ready to do this job. Do it better than you ever could. So I would like to also now take us to something that I've become good at. But it's taken about 51 years and I'm still growing in that subject. 51 years ago, I was a new Christian, just entering my final year of high school and learning the schedule of a Christian. It began with going to youth group on Sunday night that was filled with people all my own age. It was fun, it was age-related, and I enjoyed attending and the social time that came out of it. One of the friends I made at that church uh, then told me that he went to the 11 a.m. worship service. And he invited me to join him. It was the fall season, and I told him that I'd be missing the Los Angeles Rams, uh, who always played at 11 o'clock. But I tried it, and both myself and the Rams survived without my watching them on Sunday morning. And then it became a regular event, and I was told after that, you know, there's a high school Sunday school at 9.30 a.m. So I could go from 9.30 a.m., go to church at 11 a.m., go back to church at 4.30 p.m., and once I finished (coughs) that youth group at 4.30 p.m. around 6, then I was told, you know what? There is a evening service at 6. Why didn't you stay for that? So I found myself going to church all Sunday morning, most of Sunday evening, and Sunday evening after the evening service, we all got together at a home and watched Bonanza. Not very spiritual, but it was just part of what the youth group did. Finally, I was told, you know, Wednesday night there's a prayer meeting. I went once because they asked me to pray out loud. They went around in groups, clockwise, every time. And I did not like that. But in addition to that, there were retreats, camps, and a lot of fun nights. When I put it all together, including all my transportation, I was spending from 10 to 15 hours a week that were new times in my schedule. And I was learning a lot from all the teaching and the meetings that I was attending. And at these meetings, I was always encouraged, okay, here is what a Christian does. First thing they told me was, buy a Bible. So I got a Bible, and they said a modern translation. Here it is. Now, you can see it's worn out on the spine. My original Bible, it was a new uh, J.B. Phillips translation. It was worn out on the spine because that's how I would carry it. But it wasn't worn out on the inside because after they told me to get a Bible, then they started telling me to read the Bible. Well, in reading the Bible, I found out it wasn't that easy. He wasn't thinking the thoughts that I was thinking as a young 17-year-old. But then they began to tell me all the other things that I should do. This is what Christians do. They get a Bible, they read a Bible. They pray in meetings out loud. They pray alone. They develop a quiet time. Uh, 
quiet time is hard for me because I don't have a quiet mind. They give 10% of their income. Very easy for me to do. I had no income. They share their faith. I went on a mission trip. They made me a leader. So I was leading meetings. They made me social chairman, which was their big mistake. They put me in a youth discipleship class. And and they added areas of service that I could be involved in. After that senior year, I had learned a lot. But I was also extremely exhausted and profoundly guilty and very, very discouraged. I was engulfed in the Christian lifestyle, but only my schedule had changed. When I read my Bible, I would fall asleep. When I prayed, I did not know what to say. When I led a meeting, I felt like a hypocrite. I could do calculus better than I could do the Christian life, and I couldn't do calculus. It took about five years, but finally someone helped me to live a Christian life without guilt. But it took developing the right vision that God had for my life and the goals that he wanted to be involved in. Now, friends, if... In your journey in following Christ, you share my guilt and defeat. I want to help you this morning with this very simple goals that Jesus left for following him. And these goals continue for the rest of your life. We're in a series that we call Foundations. By foundations, I mean we're studying the passage that God has used in my life and many others to move ahead in following Jesus. To make it an actual journey, not sitting at a bus stop. It began with knowing God is amazing. And he has thoughts and ways that are different from our thoughts and ways. Therefore, I I should expect differences, changes, because God is now in my life. He's perfect. We are his creations. I'm a sinner. Then we look at God's vision for this human creation. And it's put into two words. Our amazing God, who has higher thoughts and higher ways for us, gives us one of his ways to follow him. And those words are two. Make disciples. Others who believe in Jesus and follow Jesus. That's what a disciple is. Then last week, we gaze at Jesus making disciples. But it's not like you think. It's not a classroom so much as it is a series of experiences with his disciples. Jesus has an uncanny way of discerning the needs within any group and the subgroups within that group. He understands the needs of individuals as well as subgroups and large groups. He really understood a crowd because he could read their hearts. Then he meets those needs and people are amazed, responding that this man is more than a man. He is God himself. Come to our planet. But my problem was, is as I followed Jesus, I got overwhelmed and distracted, even though I was totally inundated in the Christian schedule. I could not attempt great things for God because I just was not ready. Friends, the issue is not, are we perfect? But the issue is, are we progressing in following Jesus? And I want you to know that that's what Jesus is talking about when he prays for his disciples. Jesus gives a prayer towards the end of his life, and it's at a very key time. He has been through the Last Supper, which was a Passover meal. 
he has had a long discourse to his disciples. That was a true teaching session, but it was simply answering their questions. More than that, he's about ready to go to Gethsemane, and on his way to while he's in Gethsemane, he will pray that wonderful prayer, not my will, but yours. Now, John records a prayer that we believe was in between the discourse and Gethsemane. And it is the longest prayer recorded by Jesus, and it is very, very personal. And he prays for for three things. He prays for himself, he prays for his disciples, and he prays for the Christians who will trust in Jesus through through the witness of the disciples. That is us. That is us today. 2,000 years ago, Jesus prays for us. He was about ready to suffer his cross for our sins. He was going to die and rise again and return to his father. But before he goes through that process, he prays for himself, for his current disciples, and for all of those who will believe. He prays for us. So when Jesus prays for us, I think we ought to know how he is praying. For his disciples, he prays for protection. And he prays that they will grow in the truth and not be distracted by false teaching. He prays for himself that he would glorify God at this time and God would glorify him. But then Jesus prays for all of those who will hear the disciples' words about Jesus and place their own trust in him. In the book of Acts, we see that tens of thousands place their trust in Jesus and begin to follow him. Jesus prayed for these tens of thousands in the first generation following his ascension. But the movement has been surging ever since those days and continues today until Jesus returns. And this movement can be summarized in three basic relationships as the goals of following Jesus Christ. Let me read from John chapter 17, beginning at verse 20, and go through verse 24. Jesus again, praying for us. My prayer is not for them alone, his disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be one in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me. May they be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Let me start at the end. Jesus wants us to have a relationship with him. Let me read verse 24. Righteous Father, I want those you have given me. You're a gift from God to Jesus Christ. Those who have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. First and foremost, Jesus wants us to have a relationship with him. 
He wants you to be with him and him to be with you. He wants you to be in the place where he is, not the heavenly place, but here on earth to be with him where he is. Through that relationship, you become more and more aware of how great he truly is. You will be amazed at his dedication to the Father, his his love uh, for you, but also his transcendence. He's not just another man, and yet he is still present with you. You will call him God. You will call him God's son. You will call him Savior, Lord, but you will also use the word friend. One phrase I will always remember from a Christian who taught me doctrine was this non-doctrinal truth. He said, Jim, at the heart of the universe is a relationship between a father and a son. And that relationship is like none experienced among humans. I need to see Jesus with his father to understand what it means for Jesus who wants to be with me. And to see that relationship that I'm to have with Jesus, it begins with God's word. If you have never read any of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, that is where you start. Read John. And you simply have to ask one question as you go through it. Who is Jesus? You will have enough to take you through the rest of your life. This is so important that Jesus promises his followers that they will be given the Holy Spirit to guide them into all truth about God and about Jesus. The Holy Spirit enters your life when you place your trust in Jesus. And at that moment of trust, you have forgiveness from God, the gift of eternal life, and the power in the Holy Spirit to progress in this relationship with him. So for the rest of your life, you find this Jesus with you. And the issue is, will you be with him? It's overwhelming. It's undeserved. But it's very, very true. Over the years, I've studied this Jesus in books and classrooms for the purpose of knowing him better. But I've also experienced him by watching him do his work in me and those followers around me. Almost every Sunday, I celebrate that relationship I have with Jesus by being here with you. Whether we sing, how great thou art, or from 10 years ago, how great is our God, or from this current wave of Christian music, you're a good, good father. I am reminded of the father who gave me to the son and the son who is with me where he is. This line comes from day seven that I read just two years, uh, two days ago in the Purpose Driven Life. It says, it's all for him. It is when I am with him, where he is, that I am in that zone and I realize it's all for him. And I don't do that any time better than when I'm worshiping with you. Most of my life, I find that I'm out of that zone. And when I'm not with him, I start to live like it's all about me, not all about him. My first priority as a follower of Jesus Christ is to know him and to be with him. But that prayer for, th- but that prayer was for three relational priorities for your life. 
So the first is that I'm with him. But the second is, is as he prays three times using that word, one, one, or unity, he's praying that I am one with other followers, that that'll be the second priority relationship in my life. The second is so unexpected, I think, that's why Jesus prays it three times. Now, the Father has a perfect memory. He doesn't need to hear Jesus' prayer three times. He doesn't even need to hear Jesus' prayer because they think the very same way. But go with me, if you will, back to verse 21. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you and me and I in them, and I am in you. May they also be in us, that the world will believe that you have sent me. Verse 22. I have sent them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. And then later down in verse uh, 24, he brings the same thing up. That they may be one, verse 21. That they give them the glory that they may be one as we are one, verse 23, verse 20, 22 and verse 23. I and them and you and me that so that they might be brought to complete unity. Jesus prays in verse 21, 22 and 23 that his followers would be one, imitating the oneness between the Father and the Son. Now, friends, I know that's a high bar. And none of us can probably claim that we have reached that high bar or jumped over it. But the fact that he repeats that that request by adding that we share in the glory that God gave the Son, so that we would be one like the Father and the Son. Sharing that glory basically means that God has revealed to his followers who this Jesus truly is. And as we know him, we share that common amazement. And in that common amazement and that common knowledge of who he is, we are one. Let me ask, do you know any uh, people who do not trust in Jesus but talk about the glory of Jesus? I've never met one. They try to avoid the whole subject. It's not that they're against it, they're distracted. Their minds are on other things. We share that oneness because we talk about how great Jesus is. These other people are probably involved in themselves and their activities, involved in their good works. It doesn't mean they're evil, but they cannot be one with God because they do not share in that glory that God has revealed about Jesus. And we cannot be one with them. And then he returns to describe that unity with the Father and the Son, and as the Father being in the Son and the Son being in us. Friends, there are times when you read books and listen to how the others speak about this, and you realize that now you're trying to express it. Maybe you have to copy them. But I, I confess that when I read this, I and them and you and me, that they might be brought to complete unity. I read that and I say, you know, I'm on holy ground here. I'm in an area where I'm beyond my pay grade. There's some times in which I just need to say, this is what it says. I I would like to explain it better. But instead, I'm just going to shut up and confess this is beyond me. But I I do know some things that it's not. It's not the unity of a political party. It's not the unity of being fans of a favorite football team. It's a oneness that is shared because of the presence of Jesus in our lives. 
His presence will shape our thoughts, our values, our desires and actions. And it's all around these people that I begin to become more like Jesus and share in that glory. Several years ago, I followed Fred and Carlene Dewey, Diane and Leanne Pulvermiller and Barb DeMoller to Romania to deal with these abandoned children. And I begin to glimpse how to care for those who have never experienced the love of a mother and a father. And something's very obvious because something is desperately missing in their lives that the love of a father and a mother bring to a young child. So to help them, I had to love some very unlovely people. And loving unlovely people is difficult. They would steal my food. They would tease me, kick me, swear at me in another language. I caught them going through my belongings to see if I owned anything they wanted. I also often heard them say, would you leave me a memento of yourself? And I said, yes, I brought some pictures. Oh, I would prefer your 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 uh, Nike shoes instead. Because I will always remember. I would prefer you leave me your watch. I would prefer you leave me... In other words, they wanted something. They were lying. What they really wanted is something that they could resell. I knew it. They knew it. But they refused to say it. Well, the reason I'm sharing this is because... uh, that what was missing is they could not love me and I found it difficult to be one with them. Now, uh, on Sunday morning, we get to see what following Christ is like. And we get to see it by being around people who share these things, these same things. But I want you to understand that this oneness develops also not just Sunday morning where we spend maybe 20 minutes together, but at meals and at Bible studies and at growth groups and at outreaches where I see God displayed in you. And friends, I want it. I want more of what you have that you're displaying of God's glory in you. Recently, I have been in situations where I see parents hurting for their grown children. And I have watched their struggles and their prayers and their willingness to trade places with their children. children. Where did I learn that? Because my children have been in danger? No, not so much. But I learned that by watching them and watching them follow Jesus and having Jesus in them. That's the second relationship. That we have a growing love for other Christ followers. And the third one is very simple, that we have a growing love. This is the third priority towards those who are not followers. This concerns our relationship with the world, as Jesus says it. He says in verse 21, so that the world, our unity, will will say something to the world so that the world will know uh, and believe that you have sent me. Now, I am trained in many ways to share the love of Jesus with those who do not yet follow him. I love every opportunity I get, and I find that it's never been the same way twice. I have to be on my toes to say it in a way in which these people will uh, grasp and understand and be motivated. But there's a second way this says that people come to faith in Jesus. Now, listen very carefully, because you might not have heard this. 
This way is when those who were not yet followers of Jesus Christ look at followers of Jesus Christ and see that we are one. Ways they do not experience from others. They see us, they see Christ in us, and they believe through the unity that we express. They see our life together. They hear about the Jesus behind it all. And then they believe and follow Jesus with us. But first they want living proof, and they want living proof in real lives. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them. Even, as verse 23 says, even as you have loved me. So the more we are one, the more the world takes notice. The more we are loving each other, the more the difference Jesus makes among us together for others to display. May I brag on your unity and brag on God for just a minute? Several months ago, one of our mission support team uh, became involved in ECHO. And one of its new ministries is the emergency shelter program to offer a warm location for the local homeless on cold winter nights. Joe Niemeyer and others became involved and proposed Bergen Park Church to be a part of that program, offering our facility for the homeless one week out of five from October through March. When Joe explained what this program was, I came with questions. But actually, Joe had done such good research, had mastered what the program would be, that all my questions were answered, and he even answered some that I had not yet learned to ask. So I started to pray that it would be accepted by our congregation. And once again, our oneness amazed me. Because because I was waiting to hear from some words like this. We don't want those people in our building, our brand new building, our unpaid for building, our, our quality building, who might mess it up. They didn't want our, to share our new facility with those who live on the streets or in cars. And if you have a heart for the local poor, you can take training on one of these teams. But the reason I bring this up is that people will hear that Bergen Park Church offered its brand new facility, not just to the wealthy of Bergen Park, but to the homeless of the Evergreen area. So he ends that by saying in verse 25, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know you have sent me. And we have to assume that the world does not know much about God. But we also have to accept that they will turn to Jesus through those who are following him. That's us. It's us. And I ask, how are some of you doing? You know, when you talk to me about your lives, you're talking about, boy, am I busy. Boy, is my schedule fractured. Boy, am I overwhelmed, distracted. I'm just exhausted. May I leave you with three doable goals that made a difference in my life. And I realize that God is not asking me to be a perfect Christian, but a progressing one. And progressing not in schedule. Progressing not in accomplishment, but progressing in the three basic relationships 
that make me follow Christ. The issue is not, again, have we perfected these goals, but are they growing in us? These have been a part of me for the last 46 years, and they are like ever-ready batteries for my soul. I cannot do everything, but in these relationships, I'm becoming a better follower of Jesus. First, a growing love for Jesus Christ. Am I growing in my love for him? That began 51 years ago and continues today. In the last 10 years, I have greatly enjoyed prayer walking, among other things. I love to walk and pray with anyone who will join me. Just call. I'm also a better worshiper than I was 20 years ago. And I love my journey reading through the Bible so I can know him. And through knowing him, I love him. Secondly, a growing relationship for other followers of Jesus Christ. Are you a good lover? By that I mean a a lover of other believers. If you are, they will tell you and they will seek you out. We all want to be loved. And in the months ahead with better health in my life and less time in doctor's offices, I hope I can be more with you. And thirdly, a growing love for those without Jesus Christ. They do not know it, but your love for God and your love for other Christian Christ followers is one of God's works in their lives. Let them see you love God and let them see you brag on your Christian friends to them. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray this morning for people who are in the place I was in. They are defeated. They feel like they've fallen behind. They're discouraged. They're confused. They're overwhelmed. But they want to come back. Those who desire a simpler life and a simpler world. Those that live in a world that's always demanding that they produce more. Father, maybe this is their moment when they can simply simplify what's going on And say, I'm not perfect, but I'm progressing. Where would it be? A growing love for Jesus? A growing love for other believers? A growing love for those who do not yet know Jesus Christ? Now let's be silent. Father, speak to the hearts of these people here today in these three basic relationships. These are the goals of living for Christ. Not how much do you squeeze into your schedule. But how are you growing? In a love for Jesus. A love for Christ's followers. A love for those who are not yet following Jesus. Thank you. Because you make it doable. You understand our limitations, and you help us with the things that we are able to accomplish. In Jesus' name, amen.